Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the freedom we have in this country to worship you. Lord, we thank you for the protection that you give us, that very few of us are sitting in fear this morning as we worship you. But we're able to draw close to you and hear from your word together with brothers and sisters in Christ and to be attentive to what you have to say. Lord, we pray that you may open our eyes by your Holy Spirit's power this morning as we look at your son Jesus Christ and how he interacted with someone very long ago. Lord, we pray that Christ may interact with us this morning by your Holy Spirit and may we become more like him as a result. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, how do you tell someone that they're wrong, that they've made a mistake? This can be a tricky thing to do at times and sometimes when you do point something out to someone, they refuse to listen and then it seems to be even harder work to try and convince them that they're wrong. I remember an event from my childhood where I was particularly trying to point out to my sister that she had done something wrong and she just wouldn't have a bar of it. And it wasn't something uh, particularly bad in my mind. I remember we, were in a, we lived in Queensland and it takes four hours to get anywhere in Queensland. So we'd have uh, long car trips and we were sitting in the back of the car and we were doing mazes in a book. Uh, so these mazes where you go around and I said this one's really hard and my sister said oh I can do it and so she went through she drew a little line through the maze and she said done and I looked at it and I said no you've crossed over a line there you can't go through a, a it's basically a brick wall in the maze you can't do that and she said no there's nothing there and just went through and I said no it's there I mean we must have been very young at the time because um, yeah she would have been about uh, seven I probably about five and she wouldn't accept anything I said. And I was just flabbergasted because it seemed like it was so obvious that she was in the wrong, but she refused to accept that what she, was, what she had done was wrong. She wouldn't accept it. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, someone pointing out to somebody else that what they are doing is wrong and how they go about this. And this comes up in the passage that we've been looking at from John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And I encourage you then to open your Bibles up to page 1052, page 1052, as we begin to commence again our study of this passage together. So this passage is all about this Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus has been travelling through Samaria and he has come to a well, he sat down, his disciples have gone into town to buy food, and this Samaritan woman walks up, and Jesus has started to speak to her. He firstly asked her for a drink, and then he talked about a living water that he has, by which she would never thirst again. And we've been slowly working through this together and what Jesus is getting at as he's been going through it. And now we've come to this point where the Samaritan woman is actually wanting Jesus' water. She's been convinced by what Jesus says, and she says to him that she would like this water. And we see this in verse 15 of John chapter 4. Verse 15, page 1053. The woman said to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus has been making a case about her need for his water, and now the woman says, All right, I'm convinced. Please give me this water. And I think she likes the sound of it because she says, if I get this water, then I won't have to keep coming back to this well to draw water. I will have this unending supply of water and it will be wonderful. Here we can clearly see that she still hasn't understood uh, what Jesus is getting at because as we've looked at it, we've seen that the water that Jesus is promising her is the Holy Spirit. It's not physical water. He's using physical water as an analogy. 
And she, though, is still fixated on this idea that it is physical water that he is going to provide her with. And that's what she says in verse 15. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. In other words, physical water. So she's thinking that Jesus is going to give her this unending supply of physical water. So the woman asks for it. What does Jesus do in in response to her? Something that's kind of unexpected. He reveals the woman's sin to her. He starts to go on a path to show the woman that she is a sinner. And how does he do this? Well, he's got a couple of methods of doing it. And so my first main point this morning is that Jesus reveals sin using subtle methods. If you want to follow my main points, they're listed there on the back of the church bulletin on the final page. And you can follow along this morning as we work through these main points and the passage together as to how Jesus reveals sin. And the first way he does it is using a subtle method. The woman says, give me this water. And what does Jesus do in return? Well, verse 16 tells us. Verse 16 reads, he told her, go call your husband and come back. He responds to her request with a command to go and call her husband and return. And he's giving a command that may seem fairly reasonable given the circumstances. If he's going to provide her with this living water by which she will never thirst again, then it makes sense that he might want to get her husband involved in the situation as well. Maybe there's some serious transaction that has to take place and really uh, the family unit should be there represented represented as a whole. And so he says, go call your husband. So it's a reasonable enough command. But if we read a few verses later down, as we have done already this morning, we see that Jesus knows she has no husband. He knows her marital history. He knows she doesn't have a husband currently. And so then we have to ask the question, well, why does Jesus give this command? It seems like a waste of breath. Why is he giving this command to her? It's because Jesus is wanting to change the conversation so that it focuses on her sin. She has said, I want this living water. And Jesus' response is to start the conversation going in a direction that is going to bring out the sin in her life for her to acknowledge and repent of. He is moving the conversation toward her sin. And he's, using it in a, he's moving it in a very subtle way by telling her to do something which he knows the answer to. But he's moving in that direction, so it's going to become, uh, it's not obvious where he's going at first, but eventually he'll get to that subject that he wants to engage in. And Jesus does the same thing to us today. The Lord still works in subtle ways to bring us to a consciousness of sin. Often God commands us to do something, and we will do it. And whilst we're doing that command, whilst we're doing that good work that God has asked us to do, sin comes to light in our lives. I mean, a very obvious example would be to meet with other believers in church. The Lord says, do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. And so we come and we think, oh, I'm going to be good. I'm going to go to church today. And while we're there, what happens? While you're doing something really good, you find out, whilst at church, as the Bible's read aloud, God convicts you of a particular sin that you weren't thinking about at all. And suddenly, while you're doing something good, gathering with believers, as you're supposed to, you find out there's other sin in your life that you need to get rid of. And so God gives you one command, and whilst you're doing that command, other sin starts to come out. 
And it may not just be when God commands you to do something. It can be when you're just having an innocent conversation with someone and suddenly something in that conversation grabs you and you suddenly become convicted of sin. And God uses such conversations to bring us to a conviction of sin. And sometimes he even uses painful suffering to do that. Again and again in the Old Testament, you see that one of the methods that God has for bringing the Israelites to recognize their wrongdoing is by bringing other nations in, nations that go to war against Israel. And so God still does that today. He brings suffering into our lives, often to awaken us to how sinful we are. When we go through pain, we suddenly see all these sins manifesting themselves in our lives. When we're going well, we think, oh, yes, I've got a handle on sin. But then once something painful comes along, suddenly we become a different person. And if you want to bring this upon yourself, if you think it would be good to reveal some sin in your life, then the, the command of, of the Lord to fast is one way to do this. You go without food for a little while, you think you're a nice person. Go without food for a little while and sin starts to manifest itself in your life. You will start to see how grumpy, how easily irritated you can be, how unloving you can be to those around you if you simply do not have a bit of food in your stomach. We understand that as we do certain things, suddenly sin can be shown up in our lives. God uses subtle methods to bring our attention to the sin in our lives. So Jesus does this to this woman. He's starting in this direction. But how else does Jesus reveal sin to this woman? Well, that brings me to my second main point. Jesus reveals sin by being gentle. Jesus reveals sin by being gentle. We see when Jesus responds to her answer, she gives this answer in verse 16, um, I have no, uh, verse 17, I should say, I have no husband, she replied. Then Jesus responds to her with, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true makes a very interesting statement there. He tells her about the sin in her life, that she's had five husbands and has, uh, the man she's currently with is not her husband. But what does he do on either side of that statement? He says, you are right when you say you have no husband. And then at the end of the, uh, that sentence in verse 18, it says, the, the last sentence there in verse 18 says, what you have just said is quite true. Jesus is happy to affirm the truth in her statement. He asked her to go call her husband. And she replied with four simple words in verse 17, I have no husband. She didn't elaborate any further on that. She just said, I have no husband. And then Jesus doesn't say, you're, you're lying about your marital history and you're, not wanting, you're hiding things. No, he says, you're right in what you've said. And then he elaborates. And then he says at the end, you are right in what you've said. He's happy to affirm where she's doing the right thing, that she's not lying. She's telling the truth, but in a very terse way, in a very uh, guarded manner. And so the Lord does this with us. He is gentle with us when he's bringing sin to light in our, our lives often. He can be quite gentle. The Lord knows we're hiding much of our sin. But whilst we're hiding our sin, the Lord often encourages us and, and gives us Something, uh, he affirms what we're doing when we're doing something right. He affirms, firstly, the, the goodness in us in the fact that we are made in the image of God. The Lord treats us with respect as people who are made in the image of God. We see this again and again in the Bible, that we are taught that we represent God here on earth. 
And so we are valuable in the Lord's eyes simply because we're made in his image. And when we do what is right, the Lord encourages that. The Lord blesses that. And so this is what we see with this woman here is that he's affirming what she's doing that is right and then putting that around where he's a little more blunt, which we'll look at in a moment. And the Lord does this with us. He affirms where we are right to give us some encouragement. Why does he do this? Well, if you had someone in your life who was always pointing out what you did wrong and never affirmed anything that you did that was right, would you listen to them much? Have you ever had someone in your life that is that way? I remember when I was working at Target going through um, university, there was one particular store manager that we had for a period, too long in my opinion, who could never say that something that you had done was right. I remember doing this great toy display and putting it all up, and I'd worked hours on this uh, for the Christmas sale because I was in the toy department. I'd spent hours on it one evening, putting it all together, and one of the area managers came around and said, oh, that looks great, Joel. And the store manager was there too, and, uh, and, they, and I said, what do you think? And she said, keep it that way. I said, are you saying that it's good? Uh, I was a bit of an um, arrogant person in those days, and I'd already... Um, probably told her at some point, you never say anything that I do is right or very good. And I said, are you saying it's good then? And she said, just keep it that way, Joel, and moved on. Such a person is very hard to work with when someone will never acknowledge that anything that you're doing is right. But that's not who the Lord Jesus is. Here he is happy to affirm that this woman has done something right. She has said the truth there. So a little guarded, but, and it's hiding something, but he's still happy to affirm that what she has said is right. And the Lord does that today with us as well. He affirms that we're made in the image of God. He recognizes when we do the right thing and affirms that in his word is a good and healthy thing to do. And that means we draw near to him when he reveals our sin to us. We recognize that he affirms when we do right but also at the same time tells us where we do wrong. And so then we're more likely to open our ears and listen to him when he speaks about our sin. But how else does Jesus reveal sin? He reveals it by subtle methods. He reveals it by being gentle. My third main point this morning is that Jesus reveals sin by stating the sin bluntly. By stating the sin bluntly. Yes, Jesus is gentle, but he's also rather blunt in revealing sin. Jesus tells the woman quite plainly what she has been doing with her life. And we read that in verse 18. Verse 18 reads, The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Two things Jesus is stating about this, or you could say six if you count each uh, divorce as well. Um, He's saying to her what she has been doing. uh, he's, He's bringing her sin out for her to see. And, I mean... Technically, it's not illegal to divorce your wife. It's not, um, uh, uh, there was permission granted in the law for divorce. But particularly in the Jewish culture at the time, they would permit really a woman to be divorced three times. But if you went further than three times, you were seen to be quite an immoral person. You could have three husbands, three chances, and then you're out. That's it. Uh, for this woman to have been through five husbands was quite notorious for this time. Um, as I think it might be in our day as well, for someone to have five husbands and 
not currently have a husband, uh, would seem to be a bit notorious in our day as well. And so Jesus states this to her, and he doesn't just state that, he also states that she's currently living with someone who is not her husband. He's pointing out that she's living in an immoral state. She's living in a home with someone who is not her spouse. But it's interesting, even while he is speaking to this woman and pointing out her sin, that he doesn't just say it that bluntly, he's still very gentle in the way that he does it. He doesn't say, you are a sinner because you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. No, he states what she's doing and lets her connect the dots that what she is doing is wrong. She knows very well that what she's doing is wrong. She just needs someone to point it out to her, uh, remind her of the fact because she often would probably suppress it. And this is what the Lord does with us as well. He often bluntly states, brings out for us to see our lives and brings out the sin in our lives for us to see it. He's gentle, but at the same time, he also doesn't let sin go unnoticed and he draws it to our attention. And sometimes it's rather too blunt for us and we start to try to minimise his word. As we read his word and see our sin being portrayed there on the pages of the scriptures, we start to want to minimise the importance of the word to us. We may even start to say, as some people do, uh, who call themselves Christians, that the, whole, the Bible isn't all the word of God, that only parts of, it, parts of it are God's word, that it has errors in it, that at times uh, bits have been lost in translation and so that part that we don't like that seems to affirm, uh, uh, seems to point out a particular sin in our life, we can minimise that. It's just a part of the Bible that there's a mistake being made there. Or we become uh, cultural relativists where we say that uh, it was just wrong in that culture at that time. It's not wrong in our culture today. It doesn't carry any weight for us. The Bible is not a timeless book. No, it doesn't have an impact for us. And so we try to minimise the Lord's word because often it is a bit too blunt for us in revealing the sin in our lives. Is there any other way that Jesus reveals the sin in this woman's life? He reveals it by subtle methods. He reveals it by being gentle. He reveals it by being a little blunt. Uh, how else does he reveal the Lord's sin to her and make uh, the, the woman's sin to her and make her aware that she is sinning? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point. Jesus reveals sin using omniscience. Jesus reveals sin using omniscience. Uh, now, that's a big word there on your page, uh, on the main points there, omniscience. It just means all-knowing. It comes from Latin, uh, meaning all-knowing, that he knows all things. And Jesus is doing this to this woman as he reveals that he knows so much about her. And before she walked up, he was a complete stranger to her. He reveals that he knows so much about her, which reflects that he is the omniscient one. He knows much about her. He has this extraordinary knowledge of a random stranger's life, and that humbles the woman. And we see later on that she reflects on this in the way that she reacts towards other people, uh, in the way that she tells other people about Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 29 of John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 29. She's speaking to the people in her town, and she says, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? As she has come to the recognition that Jesus knows all things about her, she is then coming to recognise that this is the Messiah, this is the Christ, this is the one who has come to save God's people from sin. And so as Jesus reveals that he knows all things about her, the woman is starting to see her sin coming to light. 
And Jesus does that today with us as well, as he shows us his omniscience, as he shows us the fact that he knows all things about us, it helps us to reflect upon our sinful selves. It means we cannot hide from him. As we read the pages of the word of the Bible, it's often uncanny at times how well it knows us, how it can see into the depths of our souls and see why we do the things that we do. What are our motivations that then are reflected in the sins that we have against those around us and our sins against the Lord? It is incredible the knowledge that the Lord has about our own souls. And as we see that happen, it prevents us from hiding our sin. It's bringing our sin out into the open as we realise, what am I doing trying to hide my sin from the one who knows all things? It's just ridiculous. We'd see a, a mini parallel of that in our own families where children try to hide their sin and they think their parents can be all-knowing at times, but it's just that we're a little bit older and wiser. And so we can see where they've covered something up. We know their methods, often because we did it when we were a child. Uh, we know their methods, and they think, how do you know this? And they think you're a bit omniscient, and so then they are a little bit more honest with you because they recognise, I may as well own up because mummy and daddy are going to find out anyway. And it's going to be far worse for me if I lie about it and try to cover it up than if I just simply acknowledge my sin. So we've seen the Lord reveal the woman's sin to her using subtle methods, being gentle, being blunt, and by demonstrating his omniscience so that she won't hide anymore. But why does he do this? Why does he reveal the woman's sin? It seems a bit nasty. You don't go around talking about people's marital history, surely. It's a bit rude, isn't it? Why is Jesus doing this? Why does he reveal your sin to you? Isn't that just a depressing thing to do? Isn't it a depressing thing on a Sunday morning to come along to a church and the guy up the front just keeps talking about sin? What a, a, a way to ruin your Sunday morning. Why do this? Well, it's because Jesus is talking about her sin to administer a cure. The woman has basically asked for him to do this. But you may say, oh, hang on, he, she asked for water, not sin, uh, her sin to be revealed. But see, Jesus is following on her request because he wants to give her eternal life by the Holy Spirit. And the way that you have eternal life by the Holy Spirit is by acknowledging your sin and repenting of it. Jesus knows that the woman needs to have her sin brought out into the open if her sin is to be dealt with so that then she can have that living water, have that eternal life and be with him in glory for eternity. And so that brings me to my fifth main point this morning. Jesus reveals sin to administer the cure. Jesus reveals sin to administer the cure. Jesus is not getting sidetracked by talking about her marital history. Instead, Jesus is trying to bring her sin out into the open so that then she can have that eternal life that she wants. She can have that living water that will continue to well up in her and give eternal life. And that is what the Lord does for us today as well. Because of our sin, none of us are entitled to eternal life. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we are cut off from eternal life because of our sin. We see this shown to us so clearly in the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve sin, when they take that forbidden fruit, what does the Lord do in response? He does a number of things, but one of the things that he does is that he takes away the tree of life. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 reads, The Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Because of sin, man is cut off from eternal life. Unless there's another way. The Bible tells us that if we come before God and acknowledge our sin, instead of hiding it all the time like we love to do, if we acknowledge our sin to him and repent of it, turn from him and trust that our sin was put upon Jesus Christ at the cross, that the punishment that we deserve for our sin was poured out upon Jesus, then we can have eternal life. It's as simple as that. If we would just acknowledge our sin, if we would just turn from our sin, if we would just trust that Jesus Christ died for us, then we can have eternal life. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's helping this woman to take the first baby step towards eternal life, acknowledgement of sin. As she brings it all out, if she will do this, if she will bring out all her sin into the open, confess it and turn from it, then she will be saved. Sometimes we need to start small, deal with something small, and then just gradually work it out and get it all out in the open. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Kind of reminds me of when um, I was working as a podiatrist. Well, this was while I was a student. So before I went into ministry, I used to be a podiatrist. And while I was a student, I was working at a, a, a foot ulcer clinic. And I remember watching one of the podiatrists as I was standing there. Uh, this man came in and he had this tiny little ulcer on his foot. But you could see there was something else under the surface. And I probably shouldn't be sharing this anyway. Um, but gradually she, she plucked away at this little hole with the scalpel and eventually just half the man's foot became uncovered. And why did she do that? She had to explain to the man uh, what was going on because it looks like she's just cut off half his foot. But she explained to him what's going on because there was all this stuff inside, I'll spare you the details, that needs to come out. It was eating away the bottom of his foot. And if he didn't have that exposed... If he didn't have it all brought out and cleansed, then healing wouldn't happen. And he would lose the foot. It had to happen. And that's what Jesus is doing with this woman and he does with us today. He draws out just gently, and I mean that's what the scalpel was doing, just gently tugging away, drawing it all out so it would all be exposed and cleansed and changed so that the foot would be saved. And that's what Jesus is doing with you. And he's doing with this woman here. He starts small gently tugging away at the sin in your life, pointing it out to you, bluntly, gently, subtly, drawing it out. Why? So that you can be saved. That sin that's inside you is eating away at your soul. It is bringing damnation upon you. And you need to bring it out. And you do that by acknowledging it, repenting of it, and applying that cure of Jesus Christ's work at the cross. You trust that Jesus' blood was shed on your behalf so that you could be saved. 
And that's what you need to do. If you've not done that before, if you've never repented of your sins, if you haven't trusted that Jesus Christ died for you, then start today. Acknowledge your sin. Stop hiding it, as this woman is trying to do. She's trying to hide her sin. You can tell that by the way she responds in verse uh, 17. I have no husband. She's being very cagey there. And it's very interesting if you look at her reason for having the water that gives eternal life back in verse 13, the way that she words it. How does she, oh no, verse 15, sorry. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now that could be that she doesn't like going for a walk to get the water. I don't blame her for that. I don't like physical labour when I can get out of it. But it could also be, remember when we looked at this earlier, that she is coming out in the middle of the day when people aren't going to get water. At the hottest time of the day, she's off to get water. Why? Well, we believe that it's because she's notorious in the community. And she knows that if she goes to get water in the morning or afternoon, that people will pick on her, that she'll be looked down upon. She's ashamed of her life. And so she goes in the middle of the day where she's not expecting to find anyone. And she knows that if I can get this living water from the Lord, then I won't have to worry about the whole well situation anymore. I won't have to worry about being ashamed of my sin amongst the people here because I won't have to go get water anymore. I think she's trying to hide her sin. And that's what we love to do as well. We need to bring it out into the open. Acknowledge our sin and trust that Jesus Christ has paid that sin for us. So that's if you're not a Christian. But if you are a Christian, it's wonderful that you've been someone who acknowledges your sin and you're turning from it. But I think we can also learn something extra here, not just about what we should do in being the Samaritan woman and responding to Jesus when he draws our sin out for us to see. We can also learn how to be a bit like Jesus in evangelizing those around us. God calls us to be his ambassadors on earth and to be Christ-like. And often God uses us to bring people to the knowledge of their sin. And I think we can learn from Jesus' example here. We can be subtle in the way that we speak to people about their sin. Remember, Jesus says, go call your husband, and it seems like he's off on a complete tangent. We can also ask questions of people that we know the answer to, but we're just leading them in that direction. It takes a bit of skill. It takes a bit of pre-thought, uh, thinking about it beforehand. But we can think about, how can I best speak to that person so that I can lead them in a direction that's going to go more spiritual so that we can discuss where they're at with the Lord? We should also be gentle, like the Lord is gentle here. Treat unbelievers as people made in the image of God. We should always remember that. It's very easy when you see people who are not Christians and behave in a terrible way to us, that we start to want to treat them as people who have no value. No, we have to always remember to respect those who are not believers. They are made in the image of God and worthy of our respect. And we should affirm when they're saying things that are right, when they're saying things that are right and good, so that we can bring them to listen to when we say things that, about them that are wrong. I try to do this with Jehovah's Witnesses. There are some things that Jehovah's Witnesses say that I actually agree with. Same with Mormons, different cults. You, you speak to them and there are some things that they say that you're smack on board with. Does that mean you then ignore those things and simply focus on where you disagree? No, I think there's a place to actually saying, yes, I agree with that. Yes, I agree with that. 
so that it opens their ears when you say, yes, you are right in what you say, so that they can listen when you say, you are wrong in what you say. We can learn from Jesus' example here. Be gentle. Be blunt at times as well. Sometimes it requires you. You're required to just state to people that what you're doing is wrong. And we can learn that from Jesus here as well. We can also learn to encourage people to remember that the Lord knows all sin. That he knows us all. He is the omniscient one. Just as Jesus is showing to this woman that he knows all things, we don't know all things about other people. We don't know all things even about ourselves. But God does. And it's worth reminding people that God knows everything that they've thought, said, and done in their lives. It's worth reminding them of that because if they suddenly realize that, it can help them to no longer hide. Someone knows me. And so I should get right with them rather than continuing to hide from them. And then, of course, why would you do this to someone? Why would you depress them by being subtle, being gentle, being blunt? with them so they would know their sin? Well, you do it because you want to administer the cure for their sin. Don't go around depressing people by telling them all the time that they're sinners, but never telling them the way that they can be saved. We've got to tell them the bad news, but also the good news, the gospel. Don't leave people thinking that they're simply bad and there is no cure. There is a cure. There's a wonderful cure. And that is Jesus Christ and his work at the cross. And so that's what we need to do if we're believers. We need to follow Christ's example here. Be gentle, be subtle, be blunt. Remind people of the omniscience of God. But also, administer the gospel. Share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around you. Don't just share how bad they are. Share how good Christ is. And point them to him. Let's come before our God now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this part of your word that speaks to us about your son, Jesus Christ, so clearly. Oh, Lord, as we study the pages of your word, we see again and again how wonderful he is. We are in awe of him. The way that he handles people is marvellous in our eyes. Lord, we pray that we may be handled by him. May we be willing to be handled by him today. Lord, as you reveal our sin to us, may we not shrink away from it. But may we be willing to get it all out in the open. May we be willing to acknowledge it so that it can be cured, so that our sin can be washed away through the blood of Christ. So, Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has not repented of, Jesus, of their sins and trusted in Jesus' work, Lord, we pray that they would do so. And, Lord, we pray for us here this morning who are believers. Lord, we pray that we may continue to bring our sin out into the open repenting of it and trusting in Christ's work. And Lord, we pray that you would use us to follow the example of Christ and help people to realise where they have gone wrong, but also to help them to realise where Christ has gone rightly and has done what they need to do, that he has done the work that we are called to and that he has paid for our sins. Lord, may we make known the good news to those around us And may we see person after person acknowledging their sin, repenting and trusting in Christ and inheriting eternal life. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.